Oh, friends, thank you. What a beautiful prayer. Grant me power and grant me peace. We're going to talk about that this morning because I think Paul says, I want you to feel peace. And Paul suggests one way to do that. But before we do that, last week, I told you to remember a couple things while you were reading. Because we are in our third week, we're going into our fourth week of the Immerse Bible reading experience. The first week, we, we read the story of Jesus told by Luke. The second week, we learned about how that good news of Jesus goes out into the world. And then last week, you started to read some of the letters that Paul wrote to the communities in which he started groups of faithful followers of Jesus. And I told you two things. I said, one, remember, the Bible is full of tension, right? And you're going to feel that. Because Paul is going to say one thing to one group of people, and he's going to say the opposite to another group of people. And you have to remember that it's full of tension, but that it's set in a cultural context. The Bible was written for us, but not necessarily to us. Let me show you a picture here. See if this works. There it is. Oh, there it is. This is a picture of ancient Corinth. And what you're seeing here is you're seeing the temple of Athena. And on the top up here, that's called the Acro-Corinth. And what you need to know about Corinth is that it was a sailor town. You see, it was right along the isthmus where boats would go from the Mediterranean Sea into the Aegean Sea. In fact, they built a channel so that boats could come through there. Corinth was the place where Rome would send its prisoners. So it was a sailor town. And up on this hill was the temple of Aphrodisius. And if you know anything about Greek mythology, or you know that she was the temple of love and debauchery. And so that temple, historians tell us that there may have been up to a thousand temple prostitutes. And so people would come to visit this town. Can you imagine starting a church here? It's like going to the center of Las Vegas and saying, okay, let's start a church, a body of believers. We're going to show the world what God is like. And so Paul will write things to the church in Corinth and surprising things maybe to us when we read them in our modern day because he will talk about how women should be in worship. And I think sometimes we forget that this was the context that he was writing to. Can you imagine? This is like religion-sanctioned prostitution. I wonder. I wonder if Paul was saying to the church in Corinth, be careful, friends, because of where you live. Friends, we have to remember this, that Paul was not instructing us today how to do church. Paul was talking about what was going on in Corinth. And I'm grateful that this church celebrates women in ministry and their roles to be leaders and pastors. Because you know what's fascinating? 
is Paul will go to Philippi. And you know the first person he meets is Lydia. And Lydia starts a church in Philippi. He goes to Corinth. Do you know who he meets? Priscilla and Aquila. Friends, don't let that slip past you. He didn't say, I met Aquila and Priscilla. He says, I met Priscilla and Aquila. Cultural context is so important. Okay, let's do some review, okay? You don't need to read everything on these slides, but I wanted to show you. Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and Jesus said, I have a new mission for you. So Paul went to the Arabian Desert for three years in order to prepare for this mission. Paul, or Saul came back, and he was at the church in Antioch, and the church in Antioch sent him out, and the first place he went, he met a Roman official. And guess what that Roman's official name was? Paulus. And it also became his first convert, his first Gentile convert. And then, from then on, we read that Saul was renamed Paul. I wonder if Paul, Saul took Paul's name and says, I, I'm proud of this. So I want to be called Paul. So he goes on his first missionary journey. He doesn't go very far from home. He stays in Asia Minor. You can see his route here. Paul then goes on his second missionary journey. And this takes him up through Asia Minor, Asia Minor goes all the way through, and he gets to Europe, or into Europe, and he visits, visits places like Philippi, Thessalonica, Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, and he finds himself in Corinth. And there he spends two years in Corinth. And during that time, he writes a letter to the church of Thessalonica to the Thessalonians. You guys have read that. Paul makes his way back, and then Paul goes on a third missionary journey. Now, Paul comes up out of Antioch again, ends up spending three years in Ephesus. And it's in Ephesus, during his third missionary journey, that he writes his letter, or at least the first one, to Corinth. Paul will make his way back up again, visit some of the cities he's already visited. When he's up in Macedonia, they think in that time, he wrote his letter to the churches of Galatia. And those could have been to the churches of Lystra, Antioch, and Pisidia. You've read stories about what happened to Paul in all these cities. But that letter is more towards to a, a general area, not a specific city. Then he makes his way down to Corinth, and in Corinth, he writes his letter to Rome, to the Romans. And you are read, you've read part of that, and you're going to finish that this week, okay? So we're going to jump back. During his third missionary journey, oh, okay, so he was in Corinth when he wrote to Rome. I'm going to jump back. Sorry about that. Paul would make his way back to Jerusalem, and Paul would be arrested, and they would take Paul to Caesarea, where he would spend two years in jail. And then Paul said, I am a Roman citizen. I want an audience with the emperor. So Paul would take a boat all the way to Rome, and he would be held 
under house arrest. And it's in Rome, as he's waiting for a trial with Caesar, that he would write his letters to the church in Philippi, to the church in Ephesus, and to the church in Colossae. Now, when I say he wrote his letter to the church in these cities, I'm not talking about a building. Buildings didn't come around until about 300 or 400 AD. These are house churches, and Mike helped us understand that last week. So groups of people meeting all over the city. And I can imagine when Paul wrote his letters that they would, these letters would come to the city and they would be passed around. You remember Paul? You remember when Paul came and Paul hung out and Paul, and he, this is what Paul wants to say to us now, okay? So Philippi, Ephesus, and Colossae. Now this morning, I want to focus on the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians. Now, what's interesting is Paul is writing from Rome under house arrest, and he's writing to the church in Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was one of the major Roman cities. It was the fourth largest city in the Roman Empire. They think there may have been over 250,000 people living here. It was a port city. You can see remnants of where the ocean, the Aegean Sea, came up, and then the road that went down to the port. Now the Aegean is about three miles away because it was silted in. It's been silted in. But you can see, there's a main road here. There's a, there's a major theater there. There's a main other road here that goes up. This is the theater. You read a story about Paul being in the theater, right, and causing a riot. Because in Ephesus, there was a temple to Artemis. And Paul was preaching, and the, the folks who made the little trinkets, right, the, the novelties, the, the little things that you can sell to tourists, started to get angry with Paul because it was business for them. He was costing them money. And so a riot started in this theater. You can see it from here. This is looking from the harbor up to the theater. It's pretty impressive. This is the library in Ephesus, okay? What was the library? This is what it may have looked like. Here's a street in Ephesus, one of the main streets going down into the library. This is what it might have looked like. Now imagine churches in this city, groups of people gathering in homes, gathering in storefronts. Let's see. This is what they have found in Ephesus. These are the homes, very wealthy Roman city. This is what it could have looked like. So imagine, Paul comes here and tells them about Jesus. And tells them, friends, all of you are welcome to this story, to be part of this story. And then Paul leaves and they have to figure it out. Now, what's amazing about what Paul does and the genius of Paul is Paul is under house arrest. And what they call it is they call it light chain arrest, house arrest. 
And what would happen is when you're waiting for a trial before the emperor, and this would have been before Nero, you would have had a Roman soldier with you who was ready at all times to take you in front of the emperor. So when the emperor is ready, he would call and the soldier would take you. Now, we don't know exactly how this looked like. Maybe Paul had a chain on him. Maybe he didn't. I don't know if he did. But more than likely, this soldier would have been an enemy soldier who had been captured, who had worked their way up into the Roman army and became a Roman citizen. Because Rome had a way that enemy soldiers who were captured could be assimilated back into their culture and become Roman citizens, and they could reach the rank that they were in the enemy army. It's a seven-step process, and this is for another sermon, another time. But at the end of that process, they would get their armor back. Now, it's fascinating, and I want you to see this and, and take note of this. When you read the letter to the Ephesians, you know what Paul does? He walks it through the seven-step process. And at the very end, you know what Paul says? Put on your armor, the sword, God's word, the belt of truth. I wonder if he had a picture. And I wonder if he thought, you know what? This soldier may feel like a second-class citizen. And he thought, you know what? The followers of Jesus in Ephesus need to hear this because those Gentiles, I wonder if they feel like a second-class citizen. So he uses this picture to write to the Ephesians. Now, Paul is unbelievable because Paul does this. If you read, when you read this book, you'll notice that the first three chapters, Paul doesn't tell them to do anything. Paul is reminding them of their identity. So the first three chapters, Paul reminds them of their identity. The last three chapters reminds them of their conduct and how they should act. Because Paul understands that your identity, out of your identity comes your calling. And when you have your calling, that determines your conduct. Friends, remember the story. Remember the story you are part of. Remember your identity. We do this with our kids all the time. Or let me say, we don't do a very good job of this with our kids. We tell them how we want them to act, but we forget to tell them who they are and why they should act that way. So Paul says, I have to remind them of their identity. And this was Paul's major problem that he had to address in all the churches his problem was, how do you forge a Christian identity with Jew and Gentile? You see, the Jews had gotten a call from God. Do you remember? Let's see if I can get this to work. God said to Abraham, Abraham, I want to partner with you so that you be a blessing to the world, but I want you to be set apart. And so God worked with those Israelites 
and the Jews. And he said, okay, I want you to worship this certain way and I want you to live this certain way. I want you to eat certain things. I want you to circumcise your babies. I want you to, all these things. This is how we do Sabbath. This is how. And now we have Gentiles. Now these are Gentiles before they become followers of Jesus, but these are the pagans. These are the ones who go to the theater, who drink whatever they want to drink, who become drunk. This is who these guys are. So how do you tell both of these groups, here's the thing, you have a new identity. Can you imagine having these guys show up in church? And this is how these guys have done it for years. Paul is brilliant, and Paul writes them a letter. Do you want to hear part of this letter? This is page 218 in your immersed Bible. If you have chapters, if you're following a Bible with chapters and verses, it's chapter 2, verse 8. This is what Paul says. God saved you by his grace when you believed. Friends, you're all saved in the same way. It's all grace. Jesus died on a cross for you, Gentiles, and for you, Jews. He goes on. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. This is your new identity so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. And then Paul talks to the Gentiles. He says, don't you forget, Gentiles, that you used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from the citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. Five out of five. Or zero out of five. Here's the thing. But, but now you have been united with Christ, in Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. 
He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. We'll come back to that. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility toward each other was put to death. Now Paul talks about this wall of hostility, and I wonder if Paul thought, I need a picture. I need a picture of what they would have known. Let me show you. Let me take you to the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. Now, the Temple Mount was huge. They think there 35 football fields would have fit here. Herod spread out this Temple Mount, and you'll notice there's different courts. This large court is the Gentile court because the Gentiles could come up and worship God. But this was where the Jewish people worshipped. Now, if you notice, do you notice this wall? It's called the Soreg. And it's fascinating because archaeologists have found part of this wall. Now, this wall was put here by the Jews so that the Gentiles knew where they could go and where they couldn't go. You can come up to this wall, but you can't go past it because you're not a clean Jew. Can you imagine what that felt like to those Gentiles? Now, in this wall, there were 13 stones, and archaeologists have found two of them. One of them is in the museum in Istanbul, and it looks like this. You want to know what's written on that stone? No stranger is to enter within the balustrade round the temple and enclosure. Whoever is caught will be himself responsible for his ensuing death. Ooh. Right? I don't know about you, That's a wall of hostility. And Paul says, I need a picture that everyone will know. Jesus, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. Now, when we think of law, we think of God's law, right? And Jesus came to get rid of the law. Friends, that is not true. That word that Paul uses here is for general law. It's for the law that people put in place, that the Jews put in place. Because you know what? This wall, the Soreg, was not sanctioned by God. God did not say, put that wall up. And Paul is saying that Jesus came And spiritually speaking, that wall is gone. So Jews and Gentiles, what will your life look like? You know what's interesting? 
Paul's writing this letter. Do you know why Paul ended up in Rome? Do you know why Paul got arrested? You read it. Paul got arrested because he was accused of taking a Gentile past that wall. So he's in Rome because of that wall. And he says, Jews and Gentiles, you have a new identity. You know all those things you put in place that keep you apart? Guess what? Your new identity is in Christ. And that comes first. Hmm. But friends, you have to hear this. The goal of being one in Christ was not uniformity, but unity. What Paul was saying to the church in Ephesus was he was saying, you know Jews, still do what I, God, has asked you to do. Still honor the Sabbath. Still hold your festivals. Be Jewish. And Gentiles, you know what? You don't have to do all of those things in order to be in Christ. But what Paul was saying was when we lead within Christ, before we lead with categories, we treat each other differently. And what Paul was saying was, you know what? Gentiles, give those Jews a break. Because you know what? No one knew this was coming. After 2,000 years of waiting for the Messiah, no one knew that this was going to be the way it would happen. No one knew that Jesus was going to come for all people and that all people would be part of the story and invited in. And I wonder if Paul was saying to the Jews, Jews, give the Gentiles a break. They got a lot to learn. And you know what? You can learn a lot from them. You want to learn about grace? Talk to a Gentile. This is how my life is different because I now know Jesus. And you know what's amazing? Paul says to this church in Ephesus, Paul says, work it out. Because the world is watching. And if in your church it doesn't look different than the world, then there is no point. And friends, I wonder if Paul was writing to Christ Memorial Church, if he was going to say, work it out. But remember, this is what you lead with. Now, Paul wasn't saying, and I'm not saying that the categories don't matter. Friends, they are so important that we remember what makes us unique and we celebrate what makes us different. But when we come to this place and we gather, in Christ comes first. 
You see, you were no longer a Jew who believed in Jesus. You were a Jesus follower who was a Jew. You were no longer a Gentile who was a Christ follower. You were a Jesus follower who was a Gentile. And Paul is saying all those things that you put in place to keep you divided, all those man-made things, remember you're in Christ first. Friends, we do this all the time. Think about the categories that we live into, right? We have categories like black, white, Asian, Hispanic. We have categories like Republican, Democrat, third party. Friends, we have categories like traditional worship and contemporary worship. And we decide that that is a barrier for living together. And Paul says, you have a new identity. Your identity is first in Christ. So what are the implications? Friends, it's how we live. It's how we treat each other. Friends, when we lead with our categories, you know what happens? We see differences. And we focus on those differences. This is how I'm different from you. But when we lead with in Christ, you know what? We focus on our commonalities. Kids are masters at this, aren't they? When they go to a playground, you know what? They don't see color. They don't see how much money people have. They see another kid and they're like, let's play. Friends, when we lead with categories, we often see absolutes. We see it's either A or it's B. It's either yes or it's no. It's either you're with us or you're against us. When we lead within Christ, friends, we realize that life is way more complicated than that. We do this in politics all the time, right? Because you fit in one category, this is what you believe. Because you fit in another category, this is what you believe. Because you enjoy this kind of worship, this is what you believe. Because you enjoy this kind of worship or this style, this is what you believe. But friends, when we lead in Christ, we're able to have conversations together. And we're able to learn about each other. And I believe those are God-honoring conversations. Friends, when we lead with categories, we become people who are judgmental and unforgiving. But when we lead within Christ first, we become people who show love Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Friends, when we lead with categories, we're inevitably going to break down God's kingdom and our witness to this world. When we lead with 
in Christ. We become the picture of God to those around us. Let me read one more thing. Paul says to them, He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Do you notice the, the combination of unity and peace? Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family and together we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him becoming a holy temple for the Lord through him you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. You see, for so long, this was the place where God lived. And then Jesus died and rose and ascended into heaven. And Jesus said, I'm going to send you a gift. And that gift was the spirit. And the disciples would have been gathered together. And they would have been gathered here to experience God's presence and God's spirit. But you know what? God's presence moved addresses. And it moved from this into the hearts of the people. And God says, I will go with you. And the world will see what I am like because of how you live. Friends, every time we gather, we get to show the world what God's kingdom is like. And I would suggest, I had tears in my eyes this morning. Because up here is Charlie, right? Playing her guitar to a song that she loves. But over here is the choir singing their hearts out with music that they love. And friends, this morning we were able to experience it that together. There aren't very many places that you can see this happen. And friends, when we lead within Christ, we show a world that longs for peace, that longs for unity, what it looks like. It's even bigger than that, friends. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety, not just to our neighbors, but to the unseen rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Friends, I believe this morning that we not only show the world what God's kingdom is like, but friends, I believe the spiritual world around us the evil is being pushed back every time we gather together. And when we lead within Christ, friends, we can celebrate the categories. But we show this world something that they don't very often see. Let's pray. God, 
Help us to see the places in our lives where we set up boundaries, where we set up things, sore wrecks, walls of hostility. Help us to tear those down and help us, give us the courage to lead with the title in Christ. Help us to love each other, to show grace, to show mercy, to celebrate one another. Give us the wisdom and the strength to do that. Because God, we want to show the world what it looks like to be, to live, to be a people who live in Christ, in Christ alone.